welcome to another episode of the Agile Weekly Podcast. I'm Roy Vandewater. I'm Drew Lisweer. And joining us today is Chris Sims to talk about running a transparent consultancy. Greetings. So, Chris, your company is a little different. You guys um, value having a high amount of transparency within your organization, and you guys work in a fairly communal way. Can you tell us how your culture evolved to that point? Yeah, absolutely. So part of it was by intention. Uh, I started Agile Learning Labs about five years ago, uh, and we do you know Agile training and coaching and, and transformation work. And it was my intention to create a company that was first and foremost um, uh, for the benefit of the people that work there. You know, I wanted it to be a great place to work. I figure, well, then you'll get great people, and then you'll be able to deliver uh, great value to the clients. Um, so that was the general intention when we started. Uh, and then some of this evolved basically using the agile, you know, uh, principles of inspect and adapt and, and you know, uh, all of that. So, for example, uh, one of the things that's gotten a lot of attention recently is uh, the way we pay ourselves. Um, uh, everybody in the company makes the same money. Everybody. Me, you know, the, the person who does the billing, uh, you know, our, our creative director, our salespeople, everybody makes exactly the same. Um, and it's based on, uh, how successful the company is. Um, and that, that evolved over time. You know, we started out with a more traditional approach and we found that, um, it wasn't working for us, right? We wanted to create, uh, a team and we wanted to create a team that would, uh, work towards a common goal. And we found that, um, you know, uh, one of the things that helped create that alignment was having uh, everybody's compensation package be aligned. So how does that work from a investment perspective? Because I, I assume that you starting the company put, put forth quite a bit of uh, investment capital to try to get things rolling. And is that something that is that just went away in the wash or how, how are you handling that? <laughs> I love that question. Um, it's one of the things we're actually working on uh, together. One of, one of our kind of our progression of goals is uh, to first make sure that we're all making uh, enough money that we're, you know, we're living comfortably and we're, we're happy with that. Uh, and then interestingly enough, the whole team uh, is actually really committed uh, to making sure that uh, I ultimately end up getting uh, a good return on my initial investment. Uh, and it's kind of an exciting time because we're actually at that point where um, uh, that's going to start happening. So, so there is going to start to be uh, a little bit of a uh, return on owner's equity thing kind of happening. Basically, uh, you know, uh, a little bit that's coming off the top that's, that's going to come my way as a representation of, hey, you currently own the whole company. Um, over time... Uh, my intention is for that to change, right? So, so for it not to be necessarily owned entirely by me, uh, I think it's probably healthier uh, when a company is owned by the people who actually operate it. And so for the moment, having me own the whole thing is working, but I think long-term it will actually be healthier if I'm not, uh, if I'm not the only person owning it. That, that sounds interesting. It sounds like you might run into some uh, future bumps down the road on bringing new hires. So like, would new employees have to buy into the company? Yeah, we, boy, we haven't figured that one out yet. 
Um, and we definitely do expect, uh, you know, bumps down the road. Um, we're really committed to uh, basically working in a, in a very inspect and adapt way, uh, working very collaboratively to make these decisions about how we're running the company and uh, adjusting to, you know, the issues that present themselves. So I think none of us think that what we have is like the ultimate perfect uh, arrangement. It's just kind of the best one we've come up with so far. Uh, I think we all expect that uh, it's it's going to change and evolve as we go. So in a really transparent company, how do you handle the traditional concept of performance reviews or more importantly, the value that, that I think um, most developers want out of those? How do you handle people getting feedback on their performance so that they can target how to improve? Well, so I love, I love this. This is, this has kind of been one of my pet peeves for ages, which is that, um, I think the goals of performance reviews and what actually comes out of performance reviews, like what you actually get from them in most instances, most commonly, uh, are not actually aligned. Right? Most companies uh, have performance reviews because they think, hey, wow, this will really help people uh, improve and grow. And they usually have some notion of, yeah, and we should identify the people who are the high contributors and, and pay them more, right? Because mm-hmm. maybe that'll keep them around or you know, maybe it's just because somehow that's good that our high performers make more money. Um, what, what actually happens on the ground is, um, boy, especially if you do a, a traditional approach to performance reviews where, you know, it's like an annual thing, um, people get, and, and you do the traditional thing of, of tying it to compensation, um, people get really wrapped up in making sure their performance review makes them look good and they want to argue about, you know, things that, you know, don't sound good. And, and it really gets all wrapped up in, hey, I want, you know, a bigger raise and, and all of that sort of thing. And if you're trying to work in a team environment, um, very often this sets up kind of a zero-sum game mentality, right? Like I have to look better than my coworkers so that I get the lion's share of the raise money and, and all of that. Um, so what we're doing instead is, is we're choosing to go without that. We're choosing to develop a culture where uh, team members give each other feedback all the time. Uh, and our goals are uh, on, on the individual level, People want to grow professionally. They want to grow their capabilities. They want to grow their skills. Uh, they want to become ever more valuable members of the team. Uh, and at the financial level, boy, we're all just aligned around what can we all do to make Agile Learning Labs even more successful? And then that will just directly translate into, into more money, right? So it's not about how do I look better than the other guy. It's like, wow, what does my team need right now to help us actually create more value? And then I'll just jump in and do that. So, so that's what we're doing. Um, you know, for bigger companies that, you know, that can be a struggle, especially if they have a, an entrenched, uh, you know, HR performance review uh, kind of situation. Um, but some of our clients are actually moving in directions where uh, they're changing their performance review systems to uh, make them more aligned with uh, their actual goals, which is to have higher performing teams. Um, and it really changed that changes things. If you're managing for, we want high performing teams, you actually do very different things as opposed to saying, Oh, we want high performing individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and it turns out it, it, 
you know, a high-performing team can deliver way more than, you know, even a group of high-performing individuals. So uh, it's a case of, I think, managing for, you know, more for what you actually want. So as far as the continuous uh, feedback uh, part of it, where um, it sounds to me like your company culture is that if somebody sees a teammate underperforming, then they'll bring it up with that person. Or if they see somebody succeeding really well, they would they would compliment them and, and let them know that they uh, appreciate however they are um, uh, performing well. How do you uh, how does that work in practice? Because at Integrum, we've tried something similar where we initially started with anonymous feedback, which we felt we got pretty much no value out of it. Uh, uh, we, we pretty much got no value out of it. If, if Perhaps we even got negative value out of it because we felt like we wasted our time. And we, we tried doing uh, completely transparent feedback where all of us sat around the table and went one by one and gave each other feedback. And I, and I think Drew, Drew will agree that we got a lot more value out of that. And we have talked in the past about having a culture of continuous feedback, but in practice it doesn't it doesn't seem to work out that way where we're not we're not always um we're not always as quick to criticize or compliment as we should be when we see things happen. So well, how, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that you didn't get much value out of the anonymous feedback. Um uh and in, in part it I think for feedback to be meaningful, um it has to be a conversation and, and by its nature, it ends up needing to be personal, right? We, we would like to say, Oh no, no, it's got to be very objective. Um, and, and in some theoretical perfect world, maybe that is even possible, but you know, we all live here in the real world where we're actually working with people, you know, and um, you know, in it, in order to kind of get a common understanding about uh, for example, what behavior somebody uh, may have may have engaged in that that wasn't as as useful and as helpful as as we would like it to be, we kind of need to engage with them and have a conversation and, and you know say things like, hey, wow, just now when you said you know such and such, um, you know it led to this reaction which wasn't helpful and you know boy it would be better if next time we could find a different way to to navigate that and. And then that, you know, it invites a conversation, right? It's, and, and we start to understand kind of more of the subtlety of, of what's going on. And, and alas, with, with people, right, with human beings, um, I think all the value is in all of that subtlety. So you kind of have to go there. Um, and in terms of like building a culture of, of kind of continuous feedback, uh, I think it's one of those things that it takes practice, right? And it takes a little, it takes some framework and structure to kind of get it going. So for example, uh, we run the whole company using Scrum, right? We were, we're on a two week, uh, sprint cycle and, mm-hmm. you know, we, we plan, you know, what are the major objectives we want to achieve this sprint and, you know, all, all the classic, you know, uh, Scrum meetings, you know, the daily Scrum and, and, uh, sprint review at the end to see, well, how did we do? And then very importantly, a retrospective at the end. And so at the course grain, that becomes a place where very explicitly we're looking for what can we do better as a team, which often involves, you know, how can we communicate better or how can we do a particular thing better, right? Which, which might mean, you know, Chris did something this sprint that didn't work out as well as we'd like and we want to look at how could he do it better uh, next sprint. Um, and then, you know, building off of that, you know, kind of in, kind of working on and trying to be conscious about 
giving people feedback regularly, both positive and negative, right? Because if it's just one or the other, um, it's way less powerful and people end up valuing it less and being less open to it, right? So we, we try to, we're trying and actively trying, succeeding better on some days than others, but actively trying to create a, a culture where we regularly give kudos and we regularly give, um, hey, here's an idea about how we might do it even better next time. That's great. And you mentioned how you guys run, you know, your, your agile coaches or scrum coaches and trainers, and you preach scrum to other places, but you also use it internally as well. That's one thing I have a question for you is in, in your open, transparent team where, where everybody is probably a lot more equal in your company than in other companies, how do you, how do you uh, handle not having a, a specific product owner or do you consider yourself the product owner? I think of a traditional software development project. The product owner always has the final say. You know, the team can help out and, and negotiate and talk, but the, you know, part of it is the product owner has a final say. How do you uh, handle that t- while trying to run Scrum internally? Yeah, you, you nailed it right on the head. So, so I am the product owner for Agile Learning Labs. Okay. Uh, and and we, have, we have a backlog. Anyone in the company can suggest items for the backlog. Uh, we talk about them. We refine them. We identify acceptance criteria. Um, and then in sprint planning, um, I walk in with this ordered backlog that, you know, uh, I've sent out ahead of time saying, hey, here's the top of the backlog. These are the things that are likely to, to be offered, you know, in this sprint planning. And I kind of offer them to the team one at a time in the order that, you know, I'm interested in. And they get to vote to, you know, accept or reject them, right? Do we feel like we can commit to this or not? Uh, sometimes there's some negotiation around that, right? Sometimes uh, they feel like, well, you know, our capacity is going to be a little lower in that area. And so we could commit to a slightly less ambitious goal than that, but not the one you, you want. We go back and forth. Um, all, all the usual sprint planning scrum team stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think that's something that we've been uh, experimenting with. Uh, we've been taking a rather different approach to running uh, Scrum as an organization in that we don't really have a specific product owner. And I think that sometimes hurts us more than it helps us. Yeah, we, we initially didn't have uh, a product owner, and we kind of like tried to collectively groom and order the backlog and um, – it, we had a similar experience. It really didn't work well. There was a lot, you know, everybody has an opinion, but then you kind of come down to, well, how do we arbitrate between all these different opinions? And, you know, finally we realized, well, well somebody's, somebody's got to be the product owner. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of looked at me and said, well, you started the company. You're setting our big picture direction. I guess you're the product owner. And, uh, and, and one of the things that's come out of that is uh, me going, Great except that means I really can't be the scrum master. Right. Darn it. Darn it. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like that job better, but, uh, but uh, it's, it's one of the things that's fallen out, fallen out of that. So you've actually used the scrum process to write a book recently, haven't you? We did actually uh, two books. So uh, about a year ago, we released uh, a book called the elements of scrum. And I have been just honestly amazed at, at how well it's done. So it, uh, it is regularly the uh, number one bestseller on Amazon in the software project management category. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that just blows me away, right? Because, you know, when I, when I saw our book, uh, Up Above Books by people like, you know, 
Mike Cohn and, and, uh, you know, Jeff Sutherland and Ken Schwaber and people like that. It was like, wow, how did that happen? Um, and then, uh, about a week ago, we released uh, a book that it's actually a bit of an excerpt from the elements of scrum and then it's been revised and updated and polished. Um, but it's called scrum, uh, a breathtakingly brief and agile introduction. And we intentionally, uh, targeted this one as like, you know, to people who really just kind of need like the brief overview, like kind of, you know, what is the scrum stuff anyway? And so, uh, paperback is, is priced, you know, nine ninety nine, which is about as cheap as we could get it. Um, but the Kindle, right. Since there's actually no production costs, right. Uh, we priced it at 99 cents. Um, and the darn thing's already flying off the virtual shelves, which we're really excited about. But yeah, the, the, the big book elements of scrum, um, we, we used scrum, uh, to, to write it. Uh, and in particular, uh, the final big push was a writing retreat, uh, in Chicago in December, which by the way, if you ever want to like be able to really focus on writing, go to Chicago in December. There's nothing to do. Yeah. You won't want to go outside. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> below zero out there and it's windy. And so we just hold up, uh, and, um, you know, we were using all the classic scrum tools. We had a, a story map that we used to lay out the book in the way we thought it should be. Uh, we estimated all the pieces that we had to write. Um, we were actually running one day scrums, uh, one day sprints cool. uh, um, with a burn down chart for every day and, uh, and a bigger release burn down chart for the whole book. And, uh, and it worked like a charm. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. That does. I have a question. Uh, when you're writing this book, you know, part of the scrum is to ha- to deliver early and often. How, how did you do that with your book? I mean, did you focus on the potentially deliverable product or did you have any deliverable while you were not quite done with the whole book? Well, so it's interesting. Um, during that final phase, uh, we were basically, you know, I guess working with the potentially shippable concept, right? Like building right. up and publishing and, and all of that. Um, but the actual, like the overall process of writing, it was much longer. It took a couple of years. And what we were doing was, uh, on a regular basis, we were actually going off to the copy shop, printing the whole book spiral bind, spiral, uh, bound, uh, and we were using it in our workshops. So for two years, uh, this was like the, the ever improving, ever growing, uh, book that we used as the takeaway from our, our scrum workshops. And so each workshop, you know, that was kind of a release. And so we had, you know, we were motivated to, you know, get one more chapter in or get one more concept in or clean up a section that, you know, we weren't real happy with. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we actually did have lots of incremental releases, uh, right? Lying around the office, I could probably pick up, you know, maybe 10 different versions of the book before it got to the point where, you know, we actually took it out and like we actually published it, you know, properly. Awesome. Great. All right. Great. Well, it's been uh, great having you on. Is there anything that you'd like to promote or anything that you're working on that you'd like to tell us about? Uh, well, you already, you know, gave me a, this great opportunity to talk about the books, the elements of Scrum and Scrum, a breathtakingly uh, brief and agile introduction. Um, you know, Agile Learning Labs, boy, we do training and coaching and love to hear from people who are who are uh, uh, adopting Scrum or evolving their Scrum practices. So you can find us on the web, agilelearninglabs.com. Um, and boy, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate the, the opportunity to, to talk with you guys again. Awesome. Yeah, it was great. We'll definitely have to have you on again.
there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? Head over to integrumtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly podcast is brought to you by Integrum Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integrumtech.com or subscribe on iTunes.